0: we're going to turn in our Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to read again the first 11 verses of this very important chapter of Holy Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, we'll read from verse 1, let's hear the word of the Lord and as the reading takes place we encourage you to follow. Not only to hear the words, but see them on the page. And let's be thankful, of course, for the Word of God in our own language. We're thankful to God we have a faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures in the Authorized Version. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man at his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, Became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We know the Lord will stand with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning, as we continue our series of messages in the book of Philippians, is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. It reads as follows, Who being in the form of God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, that made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, my theme today is to consider the example of Jesus Christ, the God man. Now, Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 to 11 is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. It is one of the most profound Christological portions of Holy Scripture. Many Reformed and Protestant scholars believe this is one of the best passages of the Bible to defend the doctrine of the Incarnation and explain that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. However, the Apostle Paul did not write these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to theologians or to scholars. It is not a mere systematic theological lecture. The Apostle Paul is not using the text to combat heresy, Or to denounce theological error? No. He is writing about the practical matter of how true believers can get along with each other. The church in Philippi was facing a time of discord and disunity and disharmony. And the Apostle Paul is stressing here the need for unity and harmony in the local church. He is writing therefore to common people, to business people in the church, to housewives, to to ex-soldiers, maybe serving soldiers, to to young people, to to slaves, to, to help them to live in harmony with one another. In other words... Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11 is set in the context of a very practical matter. In order to live in harmony one with another and in a spirit of unity, they must cultivate the mind of Christ. He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus And remember the sermon from last week. We encourage you to go to the website and to listen to it again. They must cultivate the mind of Christ. It's very important. We thought about the portrait of Christ's mind. What was Christ's mind like? And we said it was a sound mind. In dealing with others, we must have the attitude of Christ. He knew who he was and what he came to do. It was a single mind. A a, a mind set in pleasing his. Heavenly Father. It was a spiritual mind. He never had an evil or a bitter thought. Towards any individual. His motives and his conversation. Was always and only. Sinlessly pure. We must. Pursue. The mind of Christ. We must be selfless. To live in harmony and unity. We must learn to die to self must experience a life of self-denial and life of self-sacrifice and humbly live for others for Christ's sake. And therefore we must be submissive to the will of God. We must be steadfast to fulfil God's purpose. And remember how knowing the mind of Christ is a powerful reality for here's the key to true happiness, holiness and harmony and even to hope. Now to illustrate the point, The Apostle Paul sets before us the person and work of Jesus Christ as an example of supreme humility. And this solid theological understanding of who Christ is is the very foundation of promoting harmony and unity among ourselves. Paul is saying in order to promote harmony and unity... We must grow in humility by being modelled on Jesus Christ in his incarnation and his death. See, we live in a day when people don't want doctrine. They argue it's dry, it's, it's divisive, it's boring. What we want, we, we want harmony. We want unity. We, we, we want life. Now let me tell you this morning, you can't divorce true harmony and unity from the doctrine of Christ. And remember that God's doctrine, true doctrine, centres in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And therefore true Christians who want to live in harmony and unity with each other must learn to imitate uh, and, and cultivate Christ's model of humility. And that's why the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, stated Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11. That's the context. Yes, it's a profound theological statement. Yes, it's a wonderful treatise of of the doctrine of Christ. But let it never be divorced from the context. Now I've stressed that to you at least on two or three occasions. But I I repeat that for emphasis so that you can grasp it. Remember the setting. It's very important. Never divorce a thing from its context. And the context is this profound theological statement about Christ is set in the context of Paul arguing for the need to model yourself on Christ's Humility, in order to promote harmony and unity in the house of God. Now, this morning, I have three things as we begin to open up this text. It's probably take a second sermon. It might even take a third sermon. So you'll have to bear with me. I want you to consider, first of all, the mystery of Christ's person. Who is Jesus Christ? Now if you look at the context, look at your book. Verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He mentions Christ Jesus. So we're going to ask the question, well who is Christ Jesus? Someone wrote a book one time and it was entitled, Will the Real Jesus Christ of Nazareth Please Stand Up? And we're given the answer who he is in verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And that text of scripture has to do with his co-eternality with the Father, his coexistence with the Father, and his co-equality with the Father. See, one of the greatest and most profound events in the whole of the world is the event known as the incarnation of the God-man. That is the eternal Son of God, God the Son, taking human flesh, taking a real human body with the properties of, of body and soul into union with his divine nature and coming into this world via the virgin birth. Remember 1 Timothy three sixteen: Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Look with me at verse 6. Who being in the form of God. Now we're going to pause there. Because the word being means from the verb to be existed. It's a reference to his pre-existence. Before he was born of the Virgin Mary in the fullness of time. Jesus Christ is not A created being. He is the second person of the triune God. Before he came, before he came to Bethlehem, young people, he existed in the form of God. Now, now Paul doesn't say he came to exist. Or he entered into existence. No, the time frame is clearly eternal. It's a reference to eternity past. The Apostle Paul simply exerts something. That Jesus Christ existed eternally. Who being in the form of God. Now the word form is important. And I want you to know the meaning of it. The Greek word is uh, morphe. From which we get the English word a morphology. And the word morphe means what a thing is of itself. It's what is intrinsic or essential to being. In other words, what he's saying is that Jesus Christ, when he says is in the form of God, is in the essential nature of God. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ in his nature, in his character corresponds with the nature and character of God the Father and he does so inherently he does so unchangeably he he, he does so eternally let me explain it this way the the word uh, morphe ties into the Roman stamp now if you want to post a letter today you go down to the shop and you pay 68p or whatever it is and you put a first class stamp on it and the Royal Mail delivers it but way back in Roman times they didn't have stamps so, what they did was, when they had an important document that they wanted to be delivered to someone, they rolled the document up and they sealed it with a, a, a wax seal. And there was a ring stamp pressed into the hot wax bearing the ins- Emperor, emperor's insignia, and the impression in the wax was the exact representation of the insignia. On the ring, we we have something similar today. Think of a rubber stamp and ink. When I'm filling in passports for the Republic of Ireland, I have to use my rubber stamp and red ink. And what's on the rubber stamp, when I press it into the ink and put it onto the paper, is an exact impression on paper, the exact image of what is on the stamp. The Apostle Paul is saying is this. That the relationship that Jesus Christ bears to God the Father, he is the exact image or the exact representation of who and what God is. Now that's, that's important. Because Jesus Christ is not a junior partner to God. He's not a created being. He's not one who's inferior to the Father. Jesus Christ is a fully-fledged member of the Godhead. He's equal with the Father in every respect. And he's equal from eternity past. Jesus Christ is eternally God. Jesus Christ exists as God. What Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ, in his pre-existence, from all eternity, possessed the essential nature of God, the character of God, the divine attributes of God. In other words, he is God. Before he came to earth, Jesus Christ existed and dwelt in the indivisible glory of the Father He existed and dwelt in the perfections of heaven. He was one with the Father and the Spirit in the blessedness of his divine being. But he willingly, he voluntarily left that glory for the earth. Literally, we have to say, God was manifest in the flesh. Now, this is one of the fundamental doctrines of Bible-believing Christianity. This is a most basic, fundamental truth. And all truth really circulates or revolves around this one truth. All doctrine centers around the revelation that God was manifest in the flesh. Now, Now, if you deny this, Doctrine, or or you reject this doctrine, I have to say this morning, you cannot be a true Christian. If you deny that Jesus Christ is eternally the Son of God or or the doctrine of the Incarnation or the doctrine of his virgin birth, you cannot be a true Christian. You can't be born of the Spirit. You, You can't be savingly joined to Christ in union with him. This is a grand theme. The equality... Of the Son with the Father. Who being. That's a reference to eternal existence. Who being in the form of God. The exact nature of God. That's a reference to the doctrine of the Trinity. That brings in the the truth about the Father. And the truth about the Spirit. Three in one and, and one in three. They're not three gods young people. We don't worship three gods We worship one living and true God who subsists in three persons. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The same in substance. Equal in power and glory. So so here's the Apostle Paul. Who is Jesus Christ? He is someone who from all eternity existed as God the Son. As the Son of God. And therefore, Jesus Christ, as God the Son, is a Trinitarian person. He coexists. He's co eternal. He's co equal. Now, now, look at the text. Look, look at verse 6. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, now, what does that mean? I want to tell you this morning there's a lot of rubbish written about that particular statement. There's a lot of lies written about that statement. Literally it means this. It was no exaggeration for him to claim to be God. Or for him to be called God. Jesus Christ was forever conscious of who he was. He knew who he was and who he is. John Calvin says in this text there, that there would be no wrong done, though he had shown himself to be equal with God. In other words, he didn't use what he possessed, Godhead, for his own advantage. He didn't use his position as God the Son or the Son of God to further his own interests at the expense of the Father or the expense of the Spirit. Be co-equal with the Father was not something that he greedily clutched and said, it's mine, or ostentiously displayed. He was not exerting his equality. He was not being arrogant or blasphemous to claim to be God. Wouldn't it be a monstrous exaggeration for me or for you to claim to be God? Or a God. But it was no robbery for Christ. To claim to be God. Why? For he is God. Who coexists. He's co-eternal. He's co-equal with the Father. Let me put it this way. I have no right this morning to claim to be the Prince of Wales. That would be robbery. That would be a lie. That would be arrogant. That title, Prince of Wales, belongs to one man uh, of the House of Windsor. And I have no desire nor thought to be the Prince of Wales. But when Jesus Christ claimed to be God, when, when he came and said, I am, he spoke the truth. He wasn't telling lies. You see, this is a very rich statement. Jesus Christ is God. And I want you to understand and consider the majesty of his person. For there could be no doubting it. There could be no duplicity here. There could be no ambiguity about this. He is God the Son. And Everything that belongs to God belongs to Christ. And this forms part there of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And people poke fun at the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. They laugh at it. They say, well, how can there be three gods? I repeat, there's not. There's three persons in the one Godhead. And everything that belongs to God belongs to Christ. All the divine substance, all the divine essence, all the attributes, the power, the prerogative, the sovereignty, the the majesty, it's all his. Just as much as it was God the Father's and God the Holy Spirit. And it was not a robbery for him to claim that. You children here know what robbery is. It's taking something that's not yours. You know that robbery is a bad act. The Bible says thou shalt not steal, whether that's a pen or a penny, or whether that's like robbing the bank. But The Lord Jesus, we're told, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The Lord Jesus, who existed from all eternity in the form of God, co-equal, as I've said, co-existing, co-eternal, and that equality belonged to him. It was his by intrinsic right. It was his by the very essence of his being. I want you to understand this morning the mystery or or the majesty of his person. I want you to get into your your mind the equality and the eternality and and the, the existence of the Son. I want you to consider something else not only the mystery of the majesty of his person I I could go on to verse 7 but I'm going to resist that temptation I want you to think of the, the message of Christ's purpose because if the doctrine of the incarnation is true that God was manifest in the flesh why did he come? And the answer is, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to see of that which was lost. The Bible says this is a faithful saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, of whom I am chief. And these are real truths. And these are real truths for a real world. Because even though he was co-eternal with the Father, and co-existed with the Father, and co-equal with the Father... Verses seven and eight teaches us about the steps that the God the Son took to uh, uh, empty himself by taking upon himself human nature and ending up dying and atoning death. On the cross. The Bible says he humbled himself. No one humbled Christ willingly, voluntarily, graciously. He offered up himself unto death as a once and for all sacrifice for sin. And the Bible tells us, but this man after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And I want to ask this morning, because I believe passionately these are real truths that I'm teaching you and telling you. And they're real truths for a real world. A world of trial. A world of tears, a world of temptation, a world of sin and suffering and sorrow. I want to ask the question, is Jesus Christ a real saviour to you? If he came into the world of to seek and save that which was lost. If Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, have you acknowledged that you're a sinner? acknowledge that you have a soul acknowledge that you need Christ in your life remember neither is there salvation in any other for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved you see the doctrine of his incarnation what does it mean to you this morning God in the flesh does it mean anything it must mean something either you rejoice in this And you receive Christ in the fullness of his coming? Or you reject him? Remember the Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God. Are, Are you one of his children this morning? Have you bowed the knee? Have you trusted him as Lord and Savior? Remember again what John emphasizes there in that particular 12th verse. Even to them that believe in his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world so you could receive him. He was manifested, the Bible tells us, to to destroy the works of the devil. You see, these are all statements of purpose. Purpose. Sinners are are born in sin and shaped iniquity. They're affected by sin, affected by a world of tears and trial and temptation. And what does the coming of Christ into the world mean to you? How many try to live as if Christ never existed? How many try to live as if Christ is not co-equal with the Father? How many try to live as if he's not God the Son? As if he didn't come into the world? It's nothing to them. And yet the reality is this is the greatest message of love and greatest message of grace and a great message of salvation. Christ can say, I was born for you. Christ can say, I live for you. Christ can say, I died in atoning death for you. I rose again bodily for you. And I called to you that I might redeem you and change and transform you. You know you can't save yourself. And you know the church doesn't save. And certainly the Pope doesn't save. Have you submitted to him? Have you bowed the knee to him? You know the Bible tells us thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Speaking of Christ, Jesus Christ, God the Son, God in the flesh. You don't need a dictionary to understand the meaning of the word gift. You, You receive the gift and you say thank you. And you've got joy and gladness in your heart about the gift. I want you to consider not only the majesty or the mystery of his person, but I want you to think about the message of his purpose. Why did he come? And what does it mean to you this morning? And I want you to consider, lastly, I want you to consider the means of Christ's portion. Because as I thought about how this impacts on our lives and what our response ought to be to. The coming of god the son into the world there was three things that come and um, th- th- these three things were something that dr alan kearns taught many many years ago in the uh, whitfield college of the bible in relation to the doctrine of the incarnation and this is what he said our response ought to be and i, I remember Uh, hearing them and I I wrote them down and I've had them and i just brought them into the message rather than go on into verses 7 and 8. We'll open that up at a second time. But here was the three thoughts. We ought to be thankful unto Christ. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. You see, the true Christian never gets beyond this. He's lost in a sense of wonder, sense of amazement. The the newness and freshness of Christ as, as always the newly slain lamb before the throne of God. There's joy. There's peace. There's happiness. Fills his heart. Be thankful unto Christ. Lord, thank you for being born for me. Thank you for living for me. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. It's not a prayer that you could pray? Some of you won't come to the prayer meeting. You have difficulty. You say, I don't know what to say, Mr. McGowan. Here's the answer. You you can come and pray. Be thankful unto him. I told you some time ago when I was in Mount and an 84-year-old woman came to the prayer meeting for the first time. She was saved 10 years that day. It was a, a, a Tuesday. And she was saved when she was 74. And she just came into the prayer meeting and she sat in the very front row and she cried out, Thank you, Lord, for saving me. And you know there was joy and happiness in that, and that wee woman's face radiated the thankfulness that she had that she was saved. Are you thankful this morning that you have this experience? I want you to think. Secondly, thinking like Christ, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I told you that last week. The word "mind" means the attitude. <coughs> You see, if we have the attitude of Christ, a spirit of self-sacrifice and self-denial, there's no room for pride. What have we got to be proud about? There's no room for self-promotion or, 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 or no um, place for division or disunity or discord. All that it takes to serve God. And to live for the glory of Christ and to reach sinners and exalt the Saviour. All that takes, we're willing to give. Nothing will be too much for us. There'll be a great Spirit of sacrifice in our heart and mind, in light of who he is and what he's done. Remember C.T. Studd said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me, for me to make for him. If he left the realms of glory, the bosom of the Father, for the bosom of the Virgin, and, and lived among men in the likeness of sinful flesh, in a real human body, and, and went to the cross and endured the horrible death of crucifixion, and rose again for us then surely in light of who he is and what he's done, does it not cause us to think about him? And lastly, Alan Kearns emphasised this, talking of him. If we really believe the gospel, we'll not keep it to ourselves. Because this is the greatest message in the world. And here's the means of having Christ as our portion. We'll not only be thankful unto Christ and think like Christ but we'll we, we talk of Christ. What was it that drove the early church? What was it that fueled the great missionary movements throughout church history? What caused people to uproot their lives and leave Northern Ireland and go to Kenya and go to Uganda and go to Nepal and other places to the far-flung corners of the earth and bear hardship for Jesus Christ and suffer loss of this world and its goods, maybe even suffering ill health because they really believed the gospel. They were gripped with this. And they were willing to go and tell others of Christ. And you know that's what we need to do in our church. We need to go and tell others. How how great a saviour. Come and hear a man that told me all things that ever I did. Isn't this the Christ? The Messiah? Remember the Man from the the Gadarenes. After he got converted. And he wanted to go with Christ. And Christ said go home and tell what great things the Lord has done for you. And the Bible tells us he went to Decapolis. He went to ten cities. not just his home and among his family. But he went to many others. And he told them of the great things that the (coughs) Lord had done for him. Now this morning. Let's consider this example. Of the mystery of Christ's person. Let's take into our mind. God the Son manifest in flesh. Let let that impact upon us. And then let's think of his purpose. God the Son came to save sinners. He came to save me. Are you saved this morning? Are you trusting Christ? And then let's have this means employed. If (coughs) Christ's our portion, then let's be thankful. Let's think often of him. In the steps that he took in humiliation. And let's talk of him to others. May the Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for listening.